Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Alwish's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Handful of stuff we're getting into today in a world of baseball sports and unifying America. And just a reminder, yeah, wear a mask. It could save a life. And uh, I'm not going to go crazy about opening with this, but, you know, the fact that people are going out of their way resisting wearing a mask in public. I mean, obviously, there's nobody here with me now, so it's safe. But if I'm in a group with a whole bunch of people, I think it would make sense. Uh, And the the virus is spreading to a point where people are continuing to get sick. And masks have been proven to save the spread. What I want to jump into today, Major League Baseball is coming back in a couple weeks. It's pretty exciting. You know, at least you're going to have some live baseball action and assuming everything is going to uh, move smoothly into the transition of baseball without fans. The commissioner has decided to turn this into an opportunity to enforce his agenda, which is basically taking the game of baseball as we've known it and turn it into a complete mockery, a complete joke. An absolute embarrassment. And that's what it is. We're taking a gimmick with a runner on second base, which, by the way, where does this runner come from? Just randomly out of the dugout, putting them at second base to start extra innings, what? To just speed up the game. It's an absolute embarrassment. The commissioner should be ashamed of himself. If you think of baseball, and I'm listen, I'm a baseball purist, but I'm a baseball purist from a standpoint of at least being objective. And if we're going to change rules, we should change rules to be changing with the times, not to try to appease a fan that isn't going to care about baseball anyway. All putting a runner at second base to start extra innings is going to do is disenchant the baseball fan that is already coming and watching the game. It's not going to bring new fans into the game. All you're going to do is you're going to piss off the fans that are at the game. So, you know, you want to go point-counterpoint with this? You want to say, well, John, uh, players, they're on the field. You want to make sure that these games end as quickly as possible? I'll say it. I'm in favor of having regular season games end in ties. You know, it's not the first time it's happened before. There's been ties in baseball. Going back to the inception of baseball, even, you know, recently within the last 30, 40 years, there's been ties in baseball. It's not that outlandish. It's not using a gimmick to try to pass the distinction of the commissioner, which is basically what's happening right now. And, and I didn't realize it until this guy was hired. But who would have thought the next commissioner of baseball after Bud Selig was going to be somebody that just wants to go out of their way to put their imprint on the game, to change the game to a point where everything that's changed could be traced back to him. This guy wants to punch his ticket into Cooperstown and the Baseball Hall of Fame. He wants to win over the owners. He is basically going out of his way to improve his status at the expense of Major League Baseball and its future. And baseball is on its way down. It's already taken second, you know, second place to football when it comes to the national pastime of the United States of America. And certainly, even throughout the world, 
it's a distant second from world soccer and you're watching you know the nfl and i know with the virus and stuff like that you're not gonna have any many that many international games but you're talking about games in london games in mexico city the talk is is that american football is going to grow throughout the world and i'll tell you if that happens you know, you're looking at baseball which is digressing by the year and the more that you try to go in there and tinker with it and throw gimmicks in there and make the game out to be something completely different the more fans you're going to lose but the more respect and self-respect you're going to use as the time goes by and I honestly, I, the more I think about it, the more disappointed I am that this rule, which, by the way, wasn't approved by anybody. It's not like it went out to all 30 owners in Major League Baseball and there was a vote on it. It's not like the players had any say in it. It's not like Commissioner Manfred asked anybody else's freaking opinion before deciding that we're going to have a runner at second base in the end of regulation time, which obviously we know is nine innings in baseball. It, it's I, I don't know what else to say about it. It's it's sad. Um, if you think about the pitcher that's going out there, what's he going to do? You know, he can he can strike out the side. You could have a an immaculate inning where a pitcher goes out there and strikes out the side on nine pitches, but he's still responsible for the runner that's on second base. The guy steals third. He steals home. You give up a run. And he can still have an immaculate inning. Don't tinker with the rules of baseball. You know, when it comes to a relief pitcher coming in and having to face three batters, I actually believe that there's some substance to that. As a baseball purist, you think of the starting pitcher and his role in baseball for so many years is to go as deep into the game as possible. Actually, it used to be to finish the game. But if you can't finish the game, pitch as long as you possibly can. The relievers, which we all knew, were failed starters and were pitching in the bullpen for a reason. Now, obviously, the game has changed. Pitchers that throw an inning or two with a lot of gas and have really good stuff have the ability to be drafted, to be highly sought after. You don't have to be a failed starter to be a good reliever. And obviously, we know some of the best relievers have been failed starters. You know, Dennis Eckersley, who had a pretty good career as a starter, became one of the best relievers ever. Mariano Rivera, if he was not put in the bullpen, he wouldn't have had a long Major League Baseball career. So, with the evolution and the importance of the relief pitching, you know, now we're getting to specialization, which is too much. To have one batter come, one pitcher come in to face one batter, I don't care if you're a lefty or a righty, it is delaying the game. And we're talking about speeding up the game, right? That's why you're putting a runner at second base to start extra innings so you don't have to play that many extra innings. So having a pitcher come in there and have to face three batters, you know what? That pitcher's got to be good enough to face three batters. And with all due respect to all the loogies out there, the left-handed specialists that have made careers over the last five to ten years by just getting one batter out, maybe baseball isn't for you. I bet you somewhere along the line you used to be able to get a right-hand hitter out if you're a left-hand pitcher. I bet you somewhere along the line you used to be able to get more than one batter out if you're a left-hand pitcher or if you're a roogie. You know what? 
it's time for those pitchers to get a little better. So for those that are upset about the three battle rule, you, you're taking the game and you're allowing it to evolve and you're allowing the mandate, which is coming out there from all baseball, scouting, uh, coaches, you know, they want to see 100 pitches used as the max. You don't want starting pitchers pitching more than 100 pitches, which, listen, does it help in regards to injuries? Yes, no, I don't think so. But you can use whatever math you want. Now you want starting pitchers to go five innings. You want to have a bunch of relievers, a bullpen of 13 to 15 pitchers. I think it's imperative for each one of these teams to have some pitchers and all their pitchers to be able to do a little more than just get one batter out. So I'm in favor of the three batter rule. But man, to put a runner at second base, it's almost like you're turning the game into a charade. It's almost like you want to turn it into some video game, some kind of cartoon game. Listen, I'd rather have a home run derby, for crying out loud, to determine the end and the results of the game than put a runner at second base. How do you quantify that runner? That runner didn't earn their position there at second base. That guy, in, in fact, if you read the rules, it's going to be the batter that made the last out of the inning before. So your reward for you know taking a wild swing and trying to hit a home run and missing, your reward for sitting there looking at a pitch right down the middle, your reward for making lousy contact and ending a rally where you have the bases loaded in two outs, what's your reward? You get to stand out on second base in the next inning. You're talking about the, the world that, that we live in now with participation trophies? Yeah, you want that to spread out to your youth leagues and stuff like that. Hey, the guy that made the last out in the last inning, you reward him by putting him out in second base to start extra innings. So many things wrong with this. The integrity of the game has never been more at stake than it is now. I can't point necessarily to this one specific instance, but you're looking at a situation where you got owners that are still trying to reverse the Peter Seitz decision of 1975. They're making this all about taking the rights away from the players, taking the pay away from the players, taking control away from the players. And to go out there and basically embarrass themselves, which they've done. The owners have embarrassed themselves. The commissioner has embarrassed himself right now. And, and I don't know. I don't know really how you change this. You, know, you go out there and you air all this dirty laundry. Something that was supposed to be so simple. Remember, this was all about an illness. This was all about a virus that was spreading throughout the world. The reason that there weren't sports was because of the spread of the coronavirus. So the Major League Baseball owners, and I know, listen, I think it's easy to blame Commissioner Manfred. He's been a terrible commissioner. He really has been one of the worst commissioners we've seen in sports for a really long time. And that's saying a lot when you're talking about Goodell in the National Football League, when you're talking about Bettman in the National Hockey League. What this commissioner has done on his own is embarrassing in its own right. 
But I think it's time to hold the Major League Baseball owners accountable for what they're doing because their influence is pushing for a lot of what Commissioner Manfred's agenda is. And it's to take the rights away from the players. It's to try to lower their salaries. You saw what happened over the last couple of years when it comes to free agency and Major League Baseball. There's something fishy about it. Can they prove collusion? Maybe not. Maybe it's not as obvious as it was in the 1980s after 85, 86, 87. There's literally players that have earned free agency for the first time and not get any calls. But you look, you look back at this and you know this is a plan that the owners have to try to wrestle power back for the players. And if you think about the, the sport the way it's set up now and, and the things that we're battling when it comes to the virus, the last thing we need is to hear bickering between the owners and the players. And the owners could just simply keep their mouth shut they can simply not involve themselves and say, hey, you know what? There's issues that we have to discuss. There's things that are going to be part of the next collective bargaining agreement, which we know is coming up in the next couple of years. There's things that we have to change about the way baseball is and a relationship between the players and the owners, where it comes to salary, when it comes to all collective bargaining, you know, materials and, and, and issues. But it's the time and place is not now. The time and place was not with the break of the the outbreak of this virus and people getting sick. Sports are stopped right now because people are getting sick. It's not a time to bring up the collective bargaining agreement and change the things that you agreed to between players and owners. So it's a lousy job by the owners to, to, to bring this up here. It's not that it's not a, a matter that ever needs to be discussed, but right now is the absolute worst time for it. And for the commissioner to take the back of the owners to support the owners, which is partially his job, he's only embarrassed himself. And, and you know, it's amazing to just talk about one specific thing, like taking a runner and putting it at second base for no reason. How is that justified in any way? That player did not earn his space at second base. How did he get there? He made the last out of the previous inning. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show. JohnPLA.com and JohnPLA LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charge and admission, for its showing is similarly prohibited. So I was thinking about this the other day. You know, you have obviously Bubba Wallace, you know, having something brought to his attention. And the first thing that's got to be said about this, obviously, is this wasn't his idea. He didn't come out there and, and discover this supposed noose in his garage where his car was. Somebody had pointed it out to him. And you can make a case that he may not have never even seen it before it was reacted to. Obviously, the FBI was involved. It was an investigation when it came to the potential of a hate crime. And it was determined that it was, what, a piece of the garage door. It was something that was never planted there. It was never a noose in the first place. And he started to think of, obviously, a lot of the things that are out there now where you're really hearing the 
decree for equal rights for everybody. You know, the murder of George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that does make sense in regards to just make sure that everybody is treated the same. Yet we have a sport like NASCAR that has not been so welcoming to people of color. And Bubba Wallace, unfortunately, until there are more blacks driving in, in a NASCAR circuit, is going to continue to be kind of looked upon as, you know, a, I don't know, a fish out of water, perhaps somebody that it doesn't fit in with the regular white group of people that are there. And it shouldn't be that way. What makes NASCAR so different that it hasn't been as inclusive to people of color? Because there's, there's something wrong with that. That's something that we shouldn't even have to really discuss right now. What are we talking about? We're talking about driving a car, making left-hand turns for miles upon miles upon miles. Why aren't there more blacks that drive in an NASCAR circuit? And it may be a deeper issue. You talk about the Confederate flag being such um, a draw to NASCAR in the South and the Southern states and all the different things you could say about that. Obviously, we know what the Confederate flag stands for and supports. There, are, there is a lot of racism that's behind that flag. That's why it, it is it is not looked upon as something that you want to wave proudly. But there has got to be a connection between that and the fact that the NASCAR circuit has way, 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 way less than 1% of its members are black. You know, there's something that can happen to change it. Hopefully, Bubba Wallace can, you know, speak up more. You know, I, I liked when he was out there talking about it, the, you know, to encourage more drivers of, of all different, you know, weights and textures and colors. You know, we sh it should be more of a diverse sport than it is. And the problem is, it, is, is it's, it's still controlled by what we like to look at in the South with the Confederate flag and a racism that goes out there in Southern states and white power that does exist in this country. No matter how much we want to admit it, it's something that is going to continue to be a battle for us as we strive towards equality and civil rights. My hope is that at some point, you know, racism becomes that of a minority in its own in its own context. We, we can look back and say that those that stand out and are in favor of racist things and say racist things and, you know, don't care about everybody the same turns out to be the minority. And we hope to get there someday. Yeah, you think of the National Hockey League and congratulations to Jerome McGinley, a great scorer, uh, scored a whole bunch of goals in his career with Calgary and a couple other teams. Uh, Marion Hossa was amongst the Hall of Fame class for the National Hockey League. Jerome McGinley is only the second player in the history of the National Hockey League to be of African-American descent. Only Grant Fuhr is the only other black player that is in the Pro Hockey Hall of Fame. Now, there's a couple others. Willie O'Ree, who we know was the first black hockey player. He is in as a pioneer. 
and there's a, there's another woman that is in the, the Hockey Hall of Fame as a pioneer as well. But, you know, the hope should be that sports should be inclusive to everybody. So you look at hockey, and yeah, there's more black hockey players in the National Hockey League than ever were before. It's growing at a very slow rate. Football, you've heard me mention on this show, still had nine teams in a thir- at a 32 in the National Football League that have never hired an African-American coach. Major League Baseball's got 11 teams that have never hired a black manager. I remember Jackie Robinson, the last time he was out in the public before he passed away in 1972, Crosley Field, the All-Star Game in Cincinnati, talked about his dream to have a darker-skinned face in a third-base coach box, in other words, managing a Major League Baseball team. Now, baseball didn't hesitate to do something, you know, and make sure that every team was inclusive. When it came to Jackie Robinson becoming the first African-American player to play in Major League Baseball since the days of Moses Fleawood Walker in 1884, as we are welcoming a guest to this show, it's little Nolan. Nolan is a very important guest to this show. We're going to ask Nolan that he sits right over here in this other chair. You got to sit in this chair, buddy. But Welcome. Nolan's a very good, big sports fan. He loves all sports. In fact, he's fishing right now with Batman. So we're going to continue the discussion as Nolan says hello to the camera. So talking about Jackie Robinson when he became the first African-American baseball player since Moses Fleawood Walker, the other 15 teams that existed at the time of Major League Baseball knew that they had to do something, knew that they had to bring in a, a black player pretty soon. And yes, yeah, some teams took a little bit of a long time. The Yankees, you know, took almost 10 years before Austin Howard became the first, you know, black Yankee. Um, Pumpsy Green with the Red Sox almost 12 years later became the first black Boston Red Sox. So some teams took longer than others, but the bottom line was it became a public relations disaster to not have a darker skinned player on your team. Now, the same should apply when you're talking about managers in baseball and when you're talking about coaches in the National Football League. Now, you talk about the, you know, revisement of the Rooney rule, perhaps to have more interviews, perhaps to bring more people in. It shouldn't be like this. You should actually take that team in any of the major sports and say, hey, if you haven't hired a black coach in your history, well, you know what? Those should be your only options. You know, we're talking about trying to just make sure that everybody is included when we're talking about rights and treating everybody the same. Is that too much to ask for? You know, we're, we're in a spot right now where everybody is so obsessed with their own what, what their own beliefs are and their own standards and their own politics. And God forbid they stand up and accept that somebody may be a little bit different from them, may believe a little bit different from them, may have a little bit different of an upbringing, may have different reasons of things that have happened in their lives to believe the things that they believe. The problem is everybody looks at everything through their own tunnel vision and just views themselves as being the only one 
that can think the way that anybody thinks. God forbid somebody thinks differently than you, then they're a bad person. They're an opponent to you. And we're not going to get anywhere until we look at this country, which was built as the melting pot in the first place. We're not going to get anywhere until we start accepting our own differences. And some of them are obvious when it comes to the way you look, the way you act, the way you are. But also it's the way you believe. Respect the fact that somebody could believe something different. And even if it hurts your feelings, respect their right to believe what they believe. A little bit of a recap of the show. As always, want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We spent some time talking about the runner at second base. And that runner never earned themselves the opportunity to get to second base. They just get put there because we want to speed up the game. Now, obviously, there's a lot, it's a lot deeper than just randomly coming up with this, I don't know, this gimmick, which has to be an embarrassment to every diehard baseball fan, for every fan that goes out there and has supported this game and loves the game the way it is. It's not that we can't embrace change. It's that there was no vote to put this together. This is just something that the commissioner is trying to make a name for himself. I understand the aspect of trying to lower the time of the game. You don't want to have five, six-hour games. You don't want to have games going into the 18th to 20th inning from a healthy and safety standpoint. I get that. And also, just from a boring standpoint, do you want to see people in the stands at some point? Hopefully, we get to it this year. Hopefully, at least one team in Major League Baseball will open up their stadium to fans. You don't want to be sitting in that crowd with no action going on for 18 to 20 innings. You want to speed up the game? There's plenty of different things you can do. You can let the game end in a tie. And in all seriousness, I don't have an issue with a tie in a Major League Baseball game. It may seem a little weird. It may seem like something from the modern-day baseball fan may not be used to seeing. Maybe sacrilegious to some. But it ties have been a part of Major League Baseball for a very long time. You know, they've gone back to, you know, last hundred years. If you look back at any of your favorite team's records, especially any of the original American League teams, any of the original National League teams, you follow back their time to their earliest part of their existence, you're going to see several different games that end in a tie. And we forgot about it, but at least that's something that you can reach back to your past and say, hey, if the game is tied after nine innings, let it end in a tie. You want to play an extra inning, you want to play 10, 11 innings, whatever you want to do, you can have a tie. And you know what? A tie is a different way to, to judge. You didn't win. You didn't lose. You tied. Obviously, the postseason, you're going to expect things to be a little different. And if you listen, you want to go crazy? You want to draw some fans? You want to make people excited about a, a baseball game that ends in a tie after nine innings? Do something like a home run derby. Have each team select one player. Go old... Uh, yeah, what the, what the heck's that guy's name? Mike Scott. Mike Scott, the old uh, announcer, used to announce the uh, the home run derbies in the 1960s. He, he didn't, I think he ended up dying of a heart attack after the first season, but 
he, he was the guy out there. He'd bring up the, the best in the game at the time, Mickey Mantle, Ernie Banks. They go up against each other head-to-head in a home run derby. Game's tied up to nine innings. You take your two biggest stars. Each team has a chance to choose one player. And you go out there, and you have some sort of format where you see how many home runs they can hit. I bet you you draw more fans to it. I bet you fans would have more interest in that than throwing a phantom runner at second base that never earned his place there in the first place. Especially when you're talking about, for crying out loud, the guy that made the last out the last inning. All of a sudden, getting a chance to go out there and, and be on second base. That's your reward. You strike out with the bases loaded in the ninth inning, you get to be on second base to start the next inning if you go to extra innings. You embarrass yourself by waving at a pitch six feet out of the strike zone for strike three, and your reward is you get to go out there and be on second base in the next inning. It's an absolute joke. Do want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Past Ball Show once again, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Just a reminder, if you're out there, especially if you're going into social gatherings, please wear a mask. You see the spread of the coronavirus as it's going throughout the country, especially in spots and uh, spaces and states that have opened up again. Florida, California, Texas, and you see a resistance to it. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there that don't want to be told what to do. And obviously, as you hear my voice, you don't hear it with the same quality as you do if I didn't have a mask on. But it's important to protect the safety of those around me. And if you just try to do your part, hopefully couple months will go by we won't see as many cases hopefully the other states that are opening up now don't run into the same problems as florida and texas and california and it's one little thing we're not asking too much you go out there you can go on amazon you can have a mask designed however you want you can have a picture of your kids on it you can have a picture of your face on it you can design it however you want just wear it in public Hopefully we can keep this virus from spreading the way it's been spreading. So I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. We'll be back with you next week. I do want to thank my son, Nolan Pielli, for joining the show. Hopefully he's okay over there. Looks like he's playing with Batman. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.